Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of three issues for just £5. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Well, the second and, as it transpired, final US presidential debate of the 2020 campaign ended as many viewers and commentators say they had hoped it would begin with something approaching an actual debate. But who won? And with 47 million Americans having already voted, and the vast majority of those who haven't saying they've already made their mind up, will this last debate have changed anything? I'm Graham Stewart, and in this Critic Magazine podcast, I'm joined from Washington, D.C. by the Critic's U.S. editor, Oliver Wiseman, and from Arizona by Chris Buskirk, editor of American Greatness. To assess whether Thursday's debate was entertainment or illumination, Chris Buskirk, which was it? It's a, it was a bit of both. Um, I, uh, the, the first debate, of course, was pure entertainment, um, in my estimation. At least I was entertained. Uh, maybe not everybody else was. Last night was a bit, uh, was a bit different. It, was, uh, it gave everybody what they said they wanted. Uh, the, what I've read so far is people seem to have appreciated the change in, ti- uh, in style and in um, tone. Um, I, you know, the thing that, I was, that I've been asked about, it's early here still while we're recording, but I've been asked about it all night, is who won, right? And, um, you know, the aesthetic of it was interesting because Trump was not very Trumpian last night, right? He, uh, he, he went, uh, everybody expected him to zig and he zagged and he had a good command of the facts. Uh, he was firm, uh, but uh, he, he was firm, but uh, polite, uh, which uh, nobody expects from Donald Trump. And he, uh, I thought, did quite, he did uh, quite well. And he was, uh, he was very good on the substance, which was, um, again, this is what everybody says they want. So we'll see how that actually plays out in practice. We'll come to to the substance in a moment, but the fact it was a debate and the fact that, as you say, Chris, um, Trump's style was uh, much more uh, courteous than than has been his his forte. Um, Was that, do you think, a strategic decision in the Trump camp, or was it a consequence of frankly, a, a much higher quality of moderation. I mean, everyone is saying, and I, I would agree with it, that, that Kristen Welker was, was, was perhaps the, the biggest winner of, of the night. Very good moderation. Uh, she allowed a debate to flow. She allowed points to be picked up on and, and refuted or argued with. Is that what led to a better debate? Or actually, do you think uh, Team Trump uh, said, Donald, you need to cool it and calm it? Yeah, I mean, t- with taking nothing away from uh, Christine Welker, who I thought did a pretty good job last night, and it's it's really always, uh, you know, you're in a sort of a no-win position when you're the moderator because everybody's got their sort of partisan axe to grind and they'll nitpick you apart. But she did, I thought, just a, you know, totally fine job. And uh, but it, but again, she it wasn't about her. It really was about the candidates that up there. There's no doubt in my mind, uh, but that uh, there was a uh, a very conscious decision made about how Trump should act, how he should present himself in this, uh, in, in this second debate. And when we talked a few weeks ago after the first one, I, was, uh, I did enjoy the first debate. Um, but it was, but it, it was red meat for people who support Trump. It was really not something that was going to uh, persuade uh, the, that uh, sort of, I don't know, maybe it's 8 or 10% of people who are persuadable. 
Um, last night is last night was very different. I mean, there there was there was clear preparation that went into that because Trump had uh, had he had answers at the ready for some questions that they had to know were coming, and there was just uh, he was very disciplined in the way he kept hammering at particular uh, points. So yeah, I'm sure that there was a lot of prep work that went into that last night. Uh, Oliver Wiseman, it was a different Donald Trump we saw yesterday. Was it a different Joe Biden? Uh, yeah, I, I actually think both the candidates were a bit better than the first debate. I mean, the, the Trump, um, Trump's transformation was more night and day because he took such a sort of combative approach the first time. But I thought, um, you know, I thought Biden was uh, a, bit, a, bit, a, bit, a bit smoother, a bit, a bit less kind of flustered than he was in the first debate. Uh, I didn't think he. I don't think he's a brilliant debater by any means. I think Trump's probably naturally better at these things. Um, uh, and I think your reading on these things depends a bit on how you see the race. So you know, if you think Biden has a comfortable lead, then he probably did what he needed to do. If you think the race is closer, as I as I think Chris probably does, then I think you you probably think more is was more was to sort of gained by Trump um, last night. And I, I just think on on Trump, I would say as well as being stylistically better than in the first debate. It's worth pointing out too, I think he, on substance, gave voters more reasons to vote for him uh, in a way that he didn't in the first one. So, you know, you were, in the first debate, you were, you were sort of bombarded with various hangups and and talking points of his. Um, But, but last night, you know, on, on COVID, which is not a good issue for him in general, you did get a clear distinction in approach, for better or for worse, between Biden and Trump. You know, there is a there is a difference in values in terms of reopening versus versus not on the on, on the pandemic. Um, uh, Biden had, a, I think, very bad um, unforced error on on energy, where he talked about um, transitioning away from fracking and oil. Um, and so, I think, on a number of ways, if you're a, if you if you imagine a kind of conservative voter, Republican adjacent voter who was a bit off put by Trump but concerned about the Democratic Party's leftwards drift, I think that kind of person could have watched last night's debate and sort of felt like there was more reason to vote for Donald Trump than there was before the debate started. Now, how much that matters and, and, and so on is obviously, is obviously another question. Well, one of the things I, I came away from from the debate was I had a little bit more clarity on some of the policies that Joe Biden supported, uh, a little bit more about uh, what Biden care involved, um, his support for a a $15 federal minimum wage, uh, his pathway to citizenship for um, uh, illegal immigrants. These were all, as it were, uh, fairly clear policies. I I came away with no sense of what Donald Trump's policies were. Uh, Chris Buskirk, um, was that deliberate or, or would it actually be better if President Trump gave us a little bit more meat? All you had to do is read the Republican platform and you know all about, the, about Donald Trump's uh, policies. Uh, I, I joke because they, the Republicans did not uh, issue a platform for the, <laughs> this year. Uh, no, I think, um, look, it, policies are great for people who are super serious about policy, but elections are won on aesthetics and not on policy. Policy is important for, uh, for highly political people on either end of the, uh, of the spectrum. And I think the, uh, the Biden, uh, sort of the, the deep Biden voters already more or less know that he is towing sort of the, the standard Democrat line, whether it be on minimum wage or on healthcare or whatever. 
uh, on uh, on uh, for Republicans. You know, people know what where Dr- Donald Trump is on whether on immigration. Uh, he's been a little murkier, but I still think not bad on healthcare. Republicans have uh, never seemed to have a good answer on healthcare, and, and uh, Trump, at least, I think, has done one thing that is very smart on that particular policy point, which is to say that. Um, he that he thinks it's absolutely essential that uh, pre-existing conditions be uh, be covered. That is, this is one of these issues where you know what the, a lot of the things Trump talks about are very, um, in a sense, they're almost very narrowly targeted for electoral purposes. So we think about well, how much difference does do the, do some of the things make that you know Trump's change in tone or what he talks about pre-existing conditions? You know, is that going to move 10 million votes? Uh, no, but it doesn't have to. It might only have to move 50,000 votes in Pennsylvania or 40,000 votes in Michigan or 10,000 in Maricopa County in Arizona, right? It's uh, they have to. He has to do some very specific things to win a handful of states. Uh, to win re-election. And this is where, you know, uh, Biden sort of is operating out of this, uh, you know, a very classic playbook is to talk about the the biggest possible policies uh, that you can, whereas it's like Trump is playing a much more tactical game to try and win over the voters in those, uh, those very particular voters that he needs to get. So for just one final example on this is, you know, all of our, uh, all of our polling and not just ours, but I think <clears throat> almost anybody so, uh, shows a place where Trump has been weak, where we had expected him to be strong as an over 65 uh, sort of Republican adjacent uh, voters. And it's because of, you know, most people assume, and I think this is right, that it's because of, uh, it's because of COVID. So he gave very good answers. I thought they were credible last night about COVID. I thought he was, I thought he was really interesting and pretty compelling when he talks about like, he's like, look, I had it. We've got very good therapies out there right now. There are trade-offs uh, between, uh, you know, any policy that we pursue here, we got to move on. But remember, like I had this, we, I had, I took Regeneron and I got better. This isn't a great situation, you know, for people who want to be persuaded, uh, that I think was enough, but that was for a, a slice uh, of the electorate. It wasn't necessarily meant to persuade everybody. He wasn't going to win San Francisco because of that, but he might win out over enough of, uh, of, a, of a portion of the electorate that it makes the difference. Uh, one thing that struck me very forcefully is that uh, it, it felt a bit as if Joe Biden was the incumbent and Donald Trump was the insurgent challenger. For a lot of the debate, it seemed to me that the... Uh, 47 years or 38 years that uh, Joe Biden has spent in public life was being tested and the the supposed lack of achievement during that period as distinct from the 47 months in which Donald Trump has been president. Uh, Oliver Wiseman, was this a wise tactic? Is is Trump's line, which is in in, in essence, um, Biden, you had eight years to do this and you didn't do it. Is that a wise strategy? And I, I ask the question because it, does it perhaps blunt the Republican attack that Biden is some dangerous radical, whereas in fact he, he may just be rather lethargic? Yeah, I think that actually I think that um, I was messaging someone about this during the debate that I thought Trump's you've had eight, you had eight years, Joe, line is, is quite a good one. And that general line of attack maybe would have been something they should have been using for longer. You know, I think over the summer, banging on about whether he's senile or why he's in his basement. Like, I think there was, you know, a more, a, an attack that took, it's an attack that takes Biden a bit more seriously and is therefore maybe a bit more effective to 
to say, you know, you were in power and what did you do? And I think it also helps Trump with his, he, there's that weird like jujitsu you need to do as a populist in office where you're the president, but you also are an outsider and how do you balance that? And that's kind of a good way of, of, Trump, of Trump doing that. I think, uh, you know, just to flip, you know, one of the really interesting qu questions about this election, I thought was crystallized quite neatly. There was a time in the debate last night where uh, Biden was deflecting on some of the stuff to do with his family and, and his son. And he had a, he looked at the camera and said, it's not about my family or your, fa or the president's family. It's about your family at home. And he went on a clearly pre-rehearsed riff that was about COVID and so on. And a little bit too, but then Trump said a classic politician's answer. Like that's, that's what we, you know, that's exactly what you think of a politician. And I think that's kind of what this election is coming down to is like, do you want, is actually what the voters want a classic politician? Like maybe people have tasted the Trump kind of offering and think this is too, this is too, you know, I've got sort of sensory overload and actually a classic politician doesn't sound so bad, or do they think, or does that outsider message still have the kind of appeal that it evidently had in 2016? I, I, if the polls are right, it would suggest people are okay with a bit more politics as usual, but I think that's kind of where, that's kind of how I see this race. Like that's the, that's the choice. Really. Chris, what would you feel? Is, is the Republican line of attack that Joe, uh, that, that Joe Biden is, is old school, washed out, uh, clueless, or or is it that actually he is the the puppet of uh, of of radicals? Yeah, the, I mean, the line has been has been uh, you know uh, that socialism. He's uh, you know he he's he's Trotsky in a blue suit or whatever, and it just uh, it doesn't stick because I mean it's just not the vibe that Joe Biden gives off. It never has been. I mean, what he is is what Donald Trump talked about. I mean, this is a guy who's been. A, in dc for a very long time you know he's sort of got that classic you know you know used car salesman vibe that uh, politician politicians uh, often have he's from a very very small state i mean that's people don't uh, i think necessarily appreciate that that delaware is tiny and that it, it sort of contributes to the fact that he has been able to um be able, he was able to be a senator for as long as he was with and really accomplish nothing which is a which is a which is a true criticism of him he was just there he was a, he was a he was a democrat vote in the senate that was his only job and uh and he figured out a long time ago that he could use the office to make money for the family that's uh and that's been the family business and this is a much more effective um attack on biden which is you don't like the swamp, you don't like Washington, you don't like politicians, you think they're smarmy, you think they're self-dealing, and you've got one right across the stage for me, and I'm the outsider, even though I'm president. That is a much a more electorally effective uh, tactic, I think, than saying that, that this is like, you know, he's a Bolshevik. That just never stuck. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Chris, your, your, uh, your reference to uh, uh, Joe Biden making money uh, invariably, inevitably brings us on to the, the more personal part of, of the debate, which was the, the slanging match as to which of the two uh, candidates was, was more corrupt. Uh, Ollie, uh, the, the attacks on the Biden family uh, and Hunter Biden in, in particular, the Ukrainian connection, uh, are, are most Americans following this closely, do most of them know, know what, what is being alluded to in these debates or, or are they scratching their head and thinking when are they going to talk about issues that, that affect us? Uh, a couple of things. Firstly, I think the way 
Trump brought the issue up last night was perhaps not as effective as it could have been because he he sort of referenced it and he referenced the big guy or whatever the phrase was, which was a line from one of these texts in passing in a way which I think a lot of people watching won't have kind of, won't have understood what he was talking about. And, you know, he, he maybe should have laid out the charges in a more straightforward way if he wanted to make more, make hay with that. Um, I also think, you know, frankly, I think um, Biden has a big structural advantage here, which is that swathes of the US media are not, treating this story as seriously as they should be. Uh, I don't, like, I, it's asserted that this is Russian disinformation without there being much evidence of that uh, one way or the other. And I, you know, I would love for the best reporters in the country to get their teeth into it and tell us more, but there's a political decision that's been made that, that they won't. So, um, and, and I, you know, and, and then there's this, there's there's, a, there's the big tech element of it too, which is that which is sort of suppressing the story somewhat. So, uh, all of that being said, I think that the 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 I'm not sure how bad the charge is, electorally speaking, in the sense that I think people see that as the kind of low lying swamp swampy corruption that Chris was talking about that you'd expect from a career politician in DC, um, and I think they mostly pin the blame on his son rather than, rather than Biden himself. And so without passing judgment myself on, on, on the story, because I, I, I think I, I'm skeptical of this, the idea of this as a October surprise that's gonna make a big difference in the way that say the Comey letter did four years ago. Hey, Chris, is it an October surprise? You know, here's. I think it's. Um, I think it's wrong to uh, think of this as sort of an electoral kill shot, which is what I know a lot of Trump supporters want to think this is. I, you know, maybe maybe there's something that's breaking on Twitter as, while we're recording here. I don't know, uh, but I think what it really is is that it is part of the case that uh, that they that the Trump campaign has only just started to make, which is that. This is just this is uh, this is the swamp. This is uh, it's self-dealing. It's corruption in public office. You may think it's big. You may think it's petty corruption, whatever. But it, it is what Donald Trump ran against in 16, which is that people get into office and then they sell uh, they sell basically sell the office and they use their family and friends as a, as a means to launder the money. Um, and to live a life that they can't afford to live on their uh, on, on their salary as a senator, as a vice president, or whatever. And so, as uh, I, my sense of it is, is that it is uh, potentially powerful as part of the bigger story. But as uh, as, as a standalone story, I don't think that it wins. Uh, I don't think it wins the election. I, if, if I could just Graham uh, compare, I think it's worth comparing Biden to Clinton on this, which is. Um, part of the reason so much of this was so effective four years ago was because American voters had spent several <laughs> decades, uh, you know, with Hillary Clinton in front and center in American public life. They had, they knew very, they, they knew about allegations and scandals and, and so on in, in, in Clinton world. And so they were sort of primed and ready for, for more evidence of that in a way that I just don't think they are with Biden. Well, one thing that, that the uh, mudslinging did achieve was taking centre stage in what should have been the foreign policy debate. It, it is a consequence of that. That segment on foreign policy was almost evaded entirely. Um, 
who, who could or should have won on foreign policy, who is seen as, as being tough, is uh, Trump seen as, as uh, being a, a, a stooge of, 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 of Kim in North Korea, or is uh, Biden seen as being soft on, on China? Well, I think that the... Um... That, I think that was one of the biggest missed opportunities for Trump actually in the debate because he didn't talk, he did, you know, I think he didn't talk about Iraq, he didn't talk about Afghanistan, he didn't talk about the foreign policy issues that where he's most in line with the American people and, and, and really I think explains a lot of his, his electoral appeal. So I sort of felt like that, you know, I, I don't think he, you know, I don't think Biden completely destroyed him on any of these issues, but I think he just didn't make as much as he could have done there about, about some of the kind of quote-unquote forever wars that he's, he's positioned himself against. Yeah, I, I, I generally agree with that. I mean, this is a place where, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the places where Trump has had the most uh, success, particularly it would, as related to the promises that he made in 15 and 16, which is, you know, he has uh, reduced uh, the, the scope of American military uh, commitments abroad. He has not started any new wars, uh, which you think, well, Okay, that is that is that a thing? Is should we be proud of him for that? Well, as it turns out, if you look at American history for the past fifty years, yes, because every other American president uh, has started at least one uh, a war abroad, and Donald Trump is the one who hasn't. You know, this is there's been a bipartisan addiction to foreign military intervention, and Donald Trump ran against it, and uh, he kept his word on that. I think he should have made he should have made more hay uh, uh, on that because one of the things that one of my takeaways last night is that, um, again, this is where Biden kind of is a throwback. You know, he's still, he's operating on this sort of 1980s paradigm. And, he's, and he says, you know, I'm going to confront North Korea. I'm going to confront Russia. I'm going to confront China. I mean, I look at, I listen to that and I think, so what? Now we're going to, we're, we're going to have these sort of bellicose, contentious relationships with uh, the, the, the Biden administration with these uh, with all these countries, what other ones is he going to add to the list? Because Obama started new conflicts in Yemen and Syria, you know. So, I think that America, I think, is a place where it would have been beneficial for Trump to remind Americans who retain a, a sort of a war weariness after decades uh, of these interventions. It would have been a good time for him to remind them that actually he's uh, he's wound down the wars and that he would continue to do so. Well, we're winding down the clock now to November the 3rd, where we're in the kind of uh, the, the, the zone of the fortnight uh, uh, to go. When was the decisive moment of this campaign? It, has there been a decisive moment, Chris? Yeah, I, there hasn't been one yet. I mean, this is, it's such an odd campaign. You know, so it, it, it's all the caveats about 2020 really do apply here. Uh, there's a way in which the campaign has just sort of been in slow motion. And, this, you know, I mean, I mean, from both sides, I mean, the overall presidential campaign has been a little bit, uh, a little bit, I don't, I don't know, unreal. It's like people sort of sleepwalking through it. And it seems like it's only picked up in the past month, really. And then, uh, and, and then really last night, I thought in a way was, was what you would have expected to have happened a month ago. Um, so no, it's uh, I don't know. It, it's uh, there's been no decisive moment. It's like we're just sort of uh, slouching towards the election. Ollie, do you feel there's been a decisive moment? If there hasn't, is that because of the effect of COVID, or is it actually people made their minds up about Donald Trump uh, a long time ago? I think if Trump, I'm sort of cheating a bit here, but I think if Trump loses, uh, in hindsight, we will look back on the 
him catching COVID as the sort of dramatic climax of, of this year, uh, at which point, you know, this will be remembered as the pandemic election and that will be the main reason he lost, um, uh, partly through bad luck, partly through his own handling of it. And I think that will sort of be the moment that crystallizes the, the, the reasons why he lost, if you see what I mean. Obviously, we could fast forward two weeks and I could be completely wrong and you can play this on a later podcast and laugh at me. But, um, but no, that to me seems like the, that to me seems like felt to me anyway, felt like the, the climax of the, of the, of the thing. Well, a week is a famously a long time in politics. So uh, a fortnight still gives some hope for Donald Trump to, uh, to claw back and give us a, a rather exciting uh, night on November the 3rd. We will look forward to that. Uh, Chris Buzzkirk uh, from American Greatness and Oliver Wiseman from The Critic, thank you both very much for your insights on the US presidential debate. Thanks. Thanks, Graham. Thanks. If you've enjoyed listening to The Critic podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the offer of three issues for just £5 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.com. Critic.co.uk